Welcome to the Hot Dog Hunks podcast, where we talk our favorite food, which is, of course, the most delicious food on the planet, hot dogs. I'm Mustard Mike, and I'm here with... Ketchup Ken. Ketchup Ken. Holy crap, that was amazing. (laughs) Ah, Thank you. (laughs) And uh, we're going to talk about the best uh, fast food hot dog that we've ever had in in our lives. I'm going to say probably uh, the the A&W Whistle Dog, if we have to go with fast food hot dogs. The A&W Whistle Dog is pretty good. If you consider New York fries fast food, I'd say that the New York fries chili dog. Is, uh, is really good, like the chili cheese dogs. I'm all about that. I don't even chili. like chili, but I like it on hot dogs. You know? The chili cheese dogs. So how are we going to decide between those? Because I'm, I'm really thinking that mine's right, and you're thinking that yours is right. So we're going to have I think this is an have... apples to oranges thing. All right, I'll tell you what we do. We pull out our wieners, and whoever's bigger wins. Well, you, you Cameron, and I don't. So I think we're going to have to leave mine up to imagination and assume that I win, I guess. Okay, I'm done with that. I don't know. Wait, let's see. Let's see yours before I talk. Big. <laughs> I mean, it is uh, it is a audio medium, so you know what? We'll ju- we'll just give it to you for this one and uh, and admit that this is not the uh, hot dog hunks podcast. This is in fact the photo friends podcast. I am your photographer. Jared Poirier, as usual. I'm here with a very fine gentleman. My name is Devin Kay, and I'll be your uh, history consultant today. Yes, our resident history expert, Devin, who uh, who came on here for one of my favorite episodes. F- fuck, one of my favorite things I've ever done in my life. One of the things that I'm like most proud of that I've ever created, which is our series on uh, Apollo 11 and the photos and... I definitely recommend checking that one out. Uh, we're not going to talk about anything related to that today. We might mention it uh, for like five seconds, but this this is going to be a totally different thing, totally different uh, historical voyage. What are we talking about today, Devin? Today we're going to be talking about, uh, well, it's the first part in uh, this series about the assassination of JFK, and we'll be discussing Lee Harvey Oswald and this picture of him very candidly uh holding a rifle and some magazines in his backyard yes the uh the famous or perhaps more aptly put uh infamous backyard photo of the man lee harvey oswald who was accused of killing the president uh never got to convict him (laughs) (laughs) that's fair um i i feel like um whether or not somebody's convicted of a, of a crime, um, the you know, uh, if there is evidence, it speaks. But, um, you know, it's interesting to me that he wasn't convicted in absentia or like postmortem because that's been done historically, especially in cases where people were really riled up about something like they were about this. Uh, but I guess, I mean, like that, that bullet really just kind of put an end to the whole thing. <laughs> yeah, unfortunately, man. Uh, uh, as this story shows, uh, there uh, a bullet from anyone's gun can change history, right? For I think for the worst in this case. But uh, before we yeah, can really, it's tough to say. 
yeah, before we can get into that in any depth, I do have to quickly uh, thank our gracious sponsor, which is CloudSpot, the easiest way for photographers to deliver and sell their photos online. Uh, you don't take a lot of photos, Devin. You're more about you're more about the painting uh, situation. You don't even have. I want to take more photos. It's just gonna spring for a camera. That's all. <laughs> yeah, I just gotta get that camera thing sorted out. But when you do, you can experience beautiful galleries gram-proof image downloads and custom storefronts for sales and uh you know we've had cloud spa as the, as the sponsor for a little while here they were offering something great for our listeners which was 20 percent off but uh you know i went to cloud spot devon and i said i think we have to do something a little bit better a little bit more special for the listeners of the photo friends podcast and you know what they said devon what they say? They said, Jared, 50% off to listeners of the Photo Friends podcast. Click the link in the description, hit up CloudSpot, really and you can get 50% off uh, for uh, a whole year. And that's that's uh, the Photo Friends promise. <laughs> All right. Now we, can, uh, now we can talk about Oswald. So what are your sources for this uh, particular episode, bro? I think that's important. When it came to Oswald, actually, there was a really good documentary on PBS. Mm-hmm. Uh, there also, I, I watched, uh, there was like two or three interviews that he did publicly, and I watched those a few times over, um, just getting a sense of it. And uh, other than that, uh, I think I, uh, I went to biography.com just to get the particulars of his life. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think for the most part, uh, other than that, and looking at the photo, that was pretty much everything that I needed. I think that his life history mostly speaks for itself, as long as you accept the basic facts of it, which most people do. I mean, like, there's very few people that are so far out that they don't accept who Oswald says he was. You know, he was a, he was a Marine. He was somebody who tried defecting, who wasn't happy with it. Yeah. Uh, and then he was somebody who came home. Uh, and it seems to me looking at it all that really everything that happened in his life was because he was looking for a way to fulfill this idea that he was somehow special Mm -hmm. or that he had some sort of special destiny to fulfill. Yeah. I I got much of the the same thing that he was kind of uh, a bit of a loser (laughs) and uh, got rejected by a lot of different people in his life. And I think that that maybe is one of the, you know, parts, a, a part of, why he did what he did uh as for sources on my side um just in terms of like general stuff around the case i think that uh this book that i have in my hands right now it's kind of a thick one Uh, i didn't read the entire thing but i read some chapters of it that were you know pertinent to the podcast uh an unfinished life um by robert delick uh which is about john f kennedy uh for stuff related to lee harvey oswald there's obviously the warren commission report uh which was done yeah. basically in lieu of a trial because uh, Oswald got killed by Jack Ruby uh, pretty much right away. <laughs> um, yeah. Yeah. So, so I've gone through both reports. Okay. Um, I would consider that I use them as sources, but yeah. um, they're, first of all, their primary source material. And second of all, so many people have so many problems with both of them. Yeah. I think 
just for the basic like um, facts of Oswald's life, though, I think that they are decent. Oh yeah. And when you get into yeah. the actual, you know, nitty gritty of the autopsy and crap, then yeah, then it gets a little bit hairier. But uh, in terms of general facts of the case and and you know what uh, Lee did leading up to it, I think it's pretty decent. Uh, and then in regard to the actual. Uh, photo that we're going to be discussing, you know, since this is a photography podcast. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, there's a great, uh, the backyard photo, right? There's a great uh, YouTube video, uh, Vox, I believe, did it, uh, why people think this photo of JFK's killer is fake. And they actually, I saw that one, yeah. Yeah, it's good. It's short. It's good. It, it really does a good job of, uh, you know, discussing that photo and the authenticity of that photo. And uh, they actually had the uh, professor or whatever, uh, the academic that worked on that uh, at the time, I believe he was working for uh, Dartmouth College. So, you know, I read he did uh, such a wonderful job explaining it. He really did. And reading through it, you don't get that. Like I, I, I was reading through it, uh, like the Dartmouth um, report and stuff like that. Uh, and I was like, man, this is really um, not making a lot of sense to me. Uh, and until I heard him actually explain it, then I was like, oh, OK. And that's kind of the case with a lot of more academic literature. Anyways, it's not really written for definitely. Experts, so, yeah, no, it's written for experts. And a lot of the time, experts have a hard time translating those things. But he did. He did an excellent job. Yeah. It's all very technical stuff when it comes to photos. And what it really comes down to is that the human eye and the human brain really are not actually good at discerning these things on their own. Yeah, you know, it's true. not really the, the human eye is no good at telling if the photo is real or fake. Yeah. Yeah. That's a big part of it. And uh, yeah, just so many things that can look weird in a photo that aren't necessarily weird. There's just you know, a lot of different variables that go into a photo. So you're absolutely right. Uh, but yeah, let's get into the let's get into the story here, man. The, the whole thing uh, revolves around, you know, one event. Um, there's a lot that we're going to discuss. But the most important thing here is, of course, uh, what happened on November 22nd, 1963, uh, where John F. Kennedy was assassinated in Dallas, Texas. Uh, he took a bullet to the head uh, where that bullet came from. <laughs> we, we can debate, uh, but that, that part is true. People think it was, uh, Lee Harvey Oswald on, uh, the sixth floor of the Texas book depository. Uh, and he shot three shots, uh, at John F. Kennedy from his sniper's nest there. Uh, the whole event had far reaching historic implications, um, really changed the world like people say you know that world that word gets thrown around like oh this changed the world nfts are going to change the world right <laughs> this, yeah yeah all the time this um, this changed the world man it permanently scarred the american psyche uh and just in terms of like foreign policy domestic policy really uh, redirected a lot of things. I actually have a quote here that uh, I want to start the podcast off with uh, from um, this book here, uh, Unfinished Life, if you'll indulge me. Is that okay? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Okay, right on. Uh, so here we go with the quote uh, from Theodore Sorensen. Countless individuals have noted that the president's death affected them even more deeply than the death of their own parents. The reason, I believe, is that the latter situation most often represented a loss of the past, while the assassination of President Kennedy represented an incalculable loss of the future. So I think that that's uh, 
<laughs> pretty good quote kind of kind of sums it up sums up uh a lot of people's feelings on it and just why this thing is like personal for a lot of people i think right yeah well i think at the time kennedy represented for a lot of people um a real avenue towards change somebody who who believed in change uh the way that they did and who wanted it the way that they did and i think that if he had lived he would have been considered uh, a traitor to his class the same way that uh franklin delano roosevelt was hmm. uh you know somebody who came from the upper echelons of society but who really did work for people in the lower echelons of society now he wasn't as concerned with domestic policy as he was with foreign but he clearly was concerned with the people mm. and concerned with you know the average person and, and how they were doing yeah in regard to like Here. the civil rights movement and stuff he was definitely yeah. kinder than other presidents you know in terms of how he viewed that and he spoke very eloquently on wanting to solve that issue right like we're talking about in the 60s like it's hard to imagine today, but literally like segregated lunch counters and crap like that. Right. Like you, you, uh, but Johnson was going for all of those same yeah. changes and he got them. Right. They may right. have been different under Kennedy. I don't know. Well, you could argue that it was like Kennedy who proposed those who things and then, off. and get getting assassinated is what kicked it off. Right. You can make that argument. That's that, fair. That was That's kind fair. of Johnson gonna... repaying him for that. Right. I don't want to. I don't want to get too much into Kennedy and Johnson today yeah. because I have a lot to <laughs> say about that. <laughs> For sure, man. But it's yeah. Just to to put it simply, like if Kennedy had lived, if he had gotten another term as president, it's possible that there would have been absolutely no escalation uh, of the war in Vietnam. Uh, you know, Laos, Cambodia, all of that yeah. just doesn't happen. Possibly under Kennedy, uh, he even talked about you know in in regard to us like personally what we care about what we covered um he had spoken of a joint soviet american space program kennedy yeah. actually proposed that right so instead and that's of like, huge cooperation okay, yeah it's crazy man um, and uh one yeah. thing i will say is that i think that uh if kennedy had lived mm -hmm. uh robert kennedy working as he did under kennedy would have done a lot more great things to take apart organized crime yeah and that's that's something that could have gone on for a long time but didn't and there's a lot to say about that too but. for sure and the all of the like um deep state police state like cia assassinations and and all of that right maybe you know yeah. maybe people can actually trust their government continue to trust their government you know and that, yeah that, exactly that would, been, that would be weird to think about <laughs> It's, you know? it's so. crazy that in the course of less than a century, America went from like completely believing in their leaders and their democracy to like zero faith in it at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah. It, 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 re reading this stuff um, into the reading into this story more, that was one thing that that uh, was definitely striking to me, man. And, and we all think like, oh, we know this stupid story, right? You, you really until you start digging in, like there's so many details that you, you don't. <laughs> I don't. It's, I, it's... I've been reading about it like for for, you know, t 20 hours at this point, probably. And I still I still don't know it all. Right. Yeah, and I mean, uh, what I'll say about it is somebody who studied the history of politics in the 20th century a lot, it's hard to learn any of it without learning all of it. It is yeah. just so intricately tied together into this unbelievably interwoven story. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know that kind of starts that kind of starts from uh, just before the beginning of World War One and runs through it into the Depression, into World War Two, and then straight into the Cold War. 
there's a narrative there that that passes with characters and, mm-hmm. and there's a lot that happens well hopefully uh, hopefully we don't have to talk about all of that <laughs> but i know absolutely not but <laughs> Uh, but you know, if you really want to understand it all, you have to go through all that. I think. Yeah, like, you, on, uh, on a mass scale. Yeah, to understand how like the Cold War happened, you you do kind of have to know uh, like World War One, World War Two. I would agree with that. But uh, in terms of what we can cover here, and I think that we can do a really yeah. nice job of just breezing through all this stuff mentioning a couple of things, you know, to give some historical background. And then yeah. uh, we'll get into the character of uh, Lee Harvey Oswald himself and uh, talk about that in some more detail. Uh, so, yeah, just some stuff that happened leading up to th- these events, really important historical stuff. If you don't uh, if you don't know this stuff, the rest of this isn't going to make any sense to you. <laughs> um, yeah. The uh, North Vietnam becoming communist under Ho Chi Minh, that happened in 1954. <sighs> Uh, they were supported by the Soviet Union at the time. Uh, America is having like this overall competition with the Soviet Union, kind of two competing um, ways of organizing society. And uh, with North Vietnam becoming communist, this is something that worries a lot of people that if uh, all of Vietnam becomes communist, what's going to happen next? Uh, Eisenhower is president at this point before Kennedy and he talks about the domino theory and needing to prevent the uh, like socialism taking over more and more countries. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That's kind of a basic, basic idea, you know, in so many words of what that whole thing was all about Uh, in terms of the uh, Bay of Pigs invasion. Do you know any stuff about that? Yeah. So in terms of the Bay of Pigs invasion, that was an operation approved by Kennedy to support um, anti, anti-Castro Cubans in an invasion of Cuba or a specific area of Cuba. Um, it was underfunded, undersupported, and uh, it really didn't get anywhere. And it turned into an embarrassment for the entire administration. Yeah. And, uh, and a huge embarrassment for Alan Dulles, who was the... Um the whatever chairman i guess of the cia the head of the cia yeah at the time uh he actually got fired over this so it was a big thing and uh one big sticking point with this bay of pigs it may have actually been a success it was uh like cuban refugees that uh, that were trained and sent to uh make some <laughs> some havoc some invasion of cuba uh america didn't provide any air support so that was what kennedy kennedy's power was to say okay we're not doing the air support thing and that's probably you know why the operation failed maybe it was bound to fail anyways but uh that's definitely part of it right yeah well i mean like i'm not going to speculate too much but a lot of these um, anti-Castro Cubans in America were very, very extreme and they were agitating for some sort of action. Mm-hmm. Um, so it may be that it was going to happen anyways, whether the government wanted it to happen or not. So they just mm. kind of said, go ahead. But uh, either way, um, in the context of that whole um, conflict with the Cubans, that it's really worth mentioning because that was um, a lot of what um, Lee Harvey Oswald agitated about in the context of himself being a socialist mm-hmm. uh, when he was, when he was um, in new Orleans, he ended up uh, in a fight publicly and then being arrested for handing out pro Castro uh, pamphlets in an anti Castro neighborhood. Yeah. The, the Cuban refugees there, they, they don't like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It was, you know, it was, it was something that he personally, 
either cared about or chose to involve himself in. For sure, for sure. And that well, we can debate about that, how authentic that, you know, his ideological views were or not. But uh, yeah, yeah. Def- definitely, um, you know, all of these things, these historical happenings, uh, whether they are happening all the way across the world in the Soviet Union or they're happening, you know, just off the shore of uh, of Florida. Right. You can you can yeah. you can ride a boat <laughs> to Cuba. So. <laughs> Yeah, it's pretty intense. And that's uh, obviously linked to the Cuban Missile Crisis uh, in 1963. Obviously, you know about that. Yeah, I mean, uh, historically, it's one of those things that if you study the 20th century, you spend a bit of time on. I mean, um, in uh, in 1963, the Soviet Union uh, moved some, um, some missiles into Cuba. Mm-hmm. And uh, these missiles, they were uh, nuclear. They were capable of striking continental United States. And uh, it triggered uh, an embargo by the U.S. Navy, which triggered a much larger, uh, much more tense uh, seven-day diplomatic exchange, I guess we'll call it. Sure. Um, Wherein uh, the world uh, very nearly came to the brink, or actually uh, came to being destroyed by nuclear weapons, where the United States and the Soviet Union almost destroyed each other. In terms of things that are actually public, this is probably the closest it's ever come. Yeah, exactly. That, that I'm aware of. Um, there could have been other accidents and disasters and, you know, maybe they covered it up. But this is one that we know about. And yeah, it's it's yeah, it's, that's scary. And that does illustrate how high the stakes were in a lot of these things. Right. Like the, the, whoever is the president of America is very important when they can push the button that ends the world. So, yeah, absolutely. And sometimes that's terrifying, uh, as we've seen lately. Um, but anyways, um, I saw a documentary once with um, Robert S. McNamara. And mm-hmm. at the end of the Cuban Missile Crisis, they did get the Soviets to take the missiles out of Cuba. And he was given a plaque, which was a golden uh, calendar by Kennedy. And on it, it had the dates of the Cuban Missile Crisis highlighted in bold. And when he gave it to him, he said, um, we won. Don't ever tell anybody we won, but we know we won. Hmm. And, uh, and, you know, that was, you know, he kept that on his desk, basically a, a memento of the seven days that they were almost obliterated. Pretty crazy. I don't, I don't know if yeah. anyone won. I guess we all won well, in a way, but they got the, yeah, <laughs> we all won in the end. They got the missiles out of Cuba, which was what they wanted. <laughs> true, true. Yeah. That's a good point. Uh, and then another thing just to touch on, you know, we talked about a little bit, but the, uh, the civil rights movement, you know, everyone's heard of. Uh, the Montgomery bus boycott and uh, and segregated lunch counters and that type of thing. Uh, this was going on, you know, ever since slavery. But uh, this is a period where uh, people were protesting, and uh, you know, there's Martin Luther King as a um, emergent figure here, Rosa Parks, and that. Uh, so just to understand yeah. that that's uh, that civil the rights. Uh, yeah, to understand that context is that people were really pushing for. Um, just better civil rights, uh, particularly for African-American people, but also, you know, just like women, poor people, everything like that. There's definitely a view uh, of like criticizing society and saying like, we can do better than this, right? It was definitely a society and a period of a lot of internal conflict and change. Mm -hmm. Uh, Or rather, I think America always has been that. Um, In a way, it's a society at conflict with its own values, where on the one hand, it's um you know a society for the people and by the people mm-hmm. um against tyranny and all that by its original documents but then you look at its actual history and you see that uh, you know it's exactly what it, it claims to hate 
there's a little bit of tyranny in there. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> Couple instances of tyranny is what you'd write on their report card if you were their um, grade seven teacher. I don't know. Anyways, I'd say there were a, a couple of rampages if I was their grade seven teacher. Mm -hmm. you know? For but sure, anyways. yeah. They might be. They might uh, need some some special help. They might need some special attention. Uh, they might. They might have anger issues or something like that. <laughs> I think that mostly covers the historical context. Uh, um, there's the the election. The nineteen. Uh, oh. The the election is approaching, right? So Kennedy, yeah. uh, when this happens, and this is something that I didn't really think about, right? until I started researching this is that the election is right on the uh, right on the cusp. So 1964 is when the election is supposed to happen. Uh, and that would have been, you know, if Kennedy won that, he would have won a second term as president. And it's important because that's why he was in Dallas. He wouldn't have been in Dallas otherwise. They didn't like him in yeah. Dallas. So he had to go there just because Texas is such a big state. They have a lot. See, we're not going to get into it too much. <laughs> just... If you win Texas, that makes a. I don't want to say it's electoral a, college, of, but I'll it's say a lot it. of points to the electoral college. Yeah. I'll say electoral college. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and I I think that um, it's worth mentioning that um, it was very likely that Kennedy would have won that election. Um, his first election campaign was unprecedented. Nobody had ever run a campaign with TV ads and song jingles. And, uh, you know, it was mass media on a scale that American politics had never seen before. That's true. <laughs> it, it was a, a big thing, like, um, between him and Nixon, right? That Yeah, yeah. Now, yeah, it's all of a sudden that it mattered so much, like, what you looked like on TV and how you presented yourself, right? You couldn't. And Nixon did so horribly at that. <laughs> <laughs> no one ever said Nixon was great at presenting himself. That's something that I'm, no he's the said. only person I've ever seen whose lips could sweat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the the cameras back then were very low res and the fact that they were able to pick up his lip sweat is the it, you know it's incredible um anyways okay so let's talk about uh lee harvey oswald if you're down with that yeah sounds good oh, okay um, awesome so his he was the youngest of uh of a few ch uh, children his father died before he was born and uh his mother ended up sending most of his siblings off to an orphanage because she couldn't take care of them um, and uh, eventually she ended up sending him off to the orphanage for a few years and then taking him back. Mm -hmm. uh, he was somebody who did well at things uh, when he started. For example, he did well at the Marines for the first few months, but eventually he, he seemed to find things that, um, that he wasn't okay with. He seemed to define himself in opposition to uh, authority. Mm -hmm. seemed to be a huge part of his personality. Yeah, he definitely had like a contrarian thing going on, a contrarian streak, I would say for sure. And some type of like persecution, like complex. superiority complex. You know how that always is? Like the biggest dicks <laughs> that you know, <laughs> like they, they will... They some they somehow simultaneously believe that they're superior and inferior at the same time. Like I don't know why, but this contradiction like rings very true to me. And I don't know if that's the case with you, but no, I kind of understand because I it's something that I see in the world often. And I mean, like the the honest to god truth is is that um, all of these things come in degrees and not binary. And there's a little bit of all of these things in all of us. There's a little bit of um um narcissism in all mm -hmm. of us there's a, a little bit of um 
um, lack of ego in all of us. There's a little bit of all of these things, but it's all in degrees. Some people have very little and some people have a lot. Mm -hmm. He happened to have to fit into the categories that you're talking about a lot. Um, and I think that it comes from uh, living a life where he didn't really ever feel like he belonged or that anybody cared about him, right? Like his, his mother didn't seem to care about him that much. He never really knew his father. He didn't have any kind of um, like fully functioning together family unit. Not, not that any family unit is fully functioning rather, but certainly not. Um, you know, he, he didn't live a typical life that way. And he, he very much lived his life alone. Uh, yeah. In his youth, he would skip school often to learn the New York subway or just walk around town. Um, and so I think that uh, he definitely had this kind of like massive outsider complex where, yeah, he thought he was smarter than everybody else and he, that he knew better, but he also probably felt that he, he wasn't good enough for them because exactly. nobody really ever accepted him or loved him. Yeah. It's that thing of like, well, I don't want to hang out with you guys anyways. Right. Like you, you yeah, exactly. Be, you want to be one of the cool kids and, and you're not. And I think that he like he developed his identity out of this, right? And uh, you yeah, know, we can only say in so opposition much. I mean, to things that hurt. Him. Yeah, yeah. We never met the guy, but I'm just saying, like, from what I read about him, and from you know, just the people that I know in my life, like, I can see parts of Lee Harvey Oswald and people that I know, and you know, I'd hate to admit it, but in myself as well. And yeah, I think I'd that, be lying yeah. if I didn't say that. Yeah, and I like to think of myself as more of a Kennedy-esque figure. <laughs> I can understand that, I guess. Um, <laughs> Thank you, Devin. I appreciate that. <laughs> I think that, I mean, if you're only picking the two, then you're more like Kennedy. But oh, I don't thanks, think bud. you're, I think that there's probably other people that you're a bit more like. Okay, that's fair. Um, I, am I a Jack Ruby? No, I'm just kidding. Uh, anyways. <laughs> no, I don't think so. <laughs> I own, so far I own zero strip clubs. So uh, uh, maybe you could be like a Theodore Roosevelt. Okay, sure, sure. Uh, he got way into uh, guns and stuff like that. He was a violent person. Um, there's like history of domestic violence in his life yeah. for sure. Um, like hitting or getting um, like confrontational with people in his life. Uh, yeah, man, the whole like not having. He went through phases where he beat his wife often. For sure, violently. for sure. Yeah. Yep. And this was even in, in his youth though, like. Uh, like family friends and stuff like that. He would oh, get really? okay. with. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and you know, just his mother, Marguerite. Yeah. Like just, it must suck putting him in the, in the orphanage and that, and then immediately pulling him out and moving him around all the time. Like he moved constantly, yeah. right? He was never in one yeah. place. Eventually he drops out of high school. Um, yeah. It becomes super uh, into communism and stuff like that as well, which is interesting in this period. Uh, communism is one of the most hated things. It still is for some reason. I mean, now it's just like, whatever, but uh, people still will be like, Oh, I hate communism. or I hate socialism. I think we, so. we need to make the separation between communism and Stalinism, Leninism. Yeah. You know what I mean? There's an idea and then there's an application. Well, we don't have like two hours of podcast for that. But. Yeah, I don't want to get into that right <laughs> now. But anyways. Um... Yeah, we can do that another time. Uh, getting into just later on in his life, right after the high school stuff. Um, this is paradoxical that he joins the Marines to me in a way. Right? It's interesting because he seems to have a problem with authority and with society. But then he also seems to like the idea of being part of military or paramilitary organizations. He was part of a youth uh, Air Force auxiliary 
uh, in high school before he was in the Marines. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, then, you know, after the Marines, he defected to the Soviets and he wanted to be some sort of like important, um, you know, intelligent source of information for them. But, mm-hmm. um, you know, he just seemed to be looking for a way to be exceptional. And I think he may have seen the Marines as a way to do that. For sure. It, it definitely has something to do with his brother joining the Marines as well. Like, the, yeah, uh, like younger brother syndrome, you know. So it's funny that you mentioned the violence, because now that I think about it, he was discharged from the Marines after, I believe, challenging a sergeant to a fight over over something he disagreed with. He was that and uh, shooting himself in the arm accidentally in the barracks uh, with an unregistered (laughs) civilian uh, weapon. Do you know that? (laughs) I knew that there was a civilian weapon involved. I know he shot himself. Yeah, he shot himself in the arm accidentally, apparently. Oh, what a moron. That's pretty funny. Yeah, he is a moron. Uh, Yeah, but (laughs) a a moron who, interestingly, was pretty damn good at at shooting rifles. Uh, He was a trained marksman uh, by the Marine Corps, and people will... Consistently tested well. Oh, yeah. And this is a big sticking point, right? Um, You know, people who are into the conspiracy theory stuff, which we've been able to kind of stay away from so far which i actually like um you know they'll they'll debate that and say oh he was a crappy shot or oh his gun wasn't good you know or whatever or he didn't know how to use that type of gun just so many different things uh but you can't deny like this is one of the things where the truth is on paper right like he shot yes. guns well <laughs> when he was in the in the military he never achieved the rank of uh like sharpshooter or the classification of sharpshooter uh but he wasn't but he, he did was well a, enough he was a marksman yeah and um he was he was like above average as, yeah as a right so yeah i actually watched interviews with a novelist who interviewed his wife because his wife declined to be interviewed But this novelist uh, interviewed his wife and she wrote a book and she said that his wife told her that in the days before the assassination, um, he would spend time um, or in the weeks before the assassination, rather, he would just spend time with the rifle, just practicing opening and closing the bolt again over and over again for hours. Yeah, which you you need to do between shots on that type of rifle. Exactly, exactly. So, I mean. It, it stands to reason that yeah he could he could definitely have made all those shots no doubt for sure yeah and this is a this is a good thing because Devin and I both are from Timmins so we have shot guns <laughs> oh yeah I've shot guns a lot I own three or four <laughs> yeah he's he's uh, Devin and not only is our resident history expert but uh, a bit of a bit of a gun guy as well so you know yeah, in a so. good way in a good way yeah in a responsible thank way you. thank you. And uh, the the whole thing around the Marines as well, he did have some access to, um, okay, stuff related to spy planes, but not really. He, he did a little bit of like air traffic control type of stuff, but people will point to his time in Marines and say, oh, this is where he got recruited by the CIA. There's not, there's not much evidence for that, I don't think. I don't think so either. So here's the thing. I'd be willing to believe it, but I wouldn't be willing to say that I, it, it's the theory that I'm pushing unless there was evidence. Now, was the opportunity there? Sure, but I don't want to speculate because honestly, I don't care. Yeah, I don't know. It's just not very pertinent to the story that we happen to be telling it's, right now. It's not where I want to go today. Yeah. 
there's many, many more interesting things to talk about, right? Uh, yeah. So yeah, after getting his uh, two court marshals um, for starting a fight with a sergeant and shooting himself in the arm like an idiot, uh, he got <laughs> a uh, ultimately was able to get out of the Marines with a hardship discharge to take care of his sick mother. Uh, so of course, after he gets this discharge, he does what, Devin? He defects to Russia. As all of us do, right? As you would naturally. That's, that's what I do when my mom is sick. I just run for the hills. <laughs> you just head straight to Russia, eh? Yeah. Uh, I don't know if it, if, but, if it's... That's an interesting thing to think about. Was it harder to go to Russia back then or now? I'm not sure. but um. Well, uh, it would be... Well, that depends on what your definition of harder is. Yeah. So look at it this way. He had to... As a known socialist, he had to make sure that he had enough money to be able to get there. He had to be able to, you know, get on the plane and then go to Russia and then have them accept him. He actually yeah. went, I think, uh, from America to France to Britain and then to Finland and then to Russia. Um, oh, I didn't know either, that. Yeah, because, I mean, it was, the, it was the height of the Cold War. You couldn't just get on a plane uh, in Florida and then go to, go to Moscow, right? That's hilarious, yeah. And then, of course, the Russians, when you got to the border, would see your passport and then not just be like, oh, yeah, you're an American. What are you here on vacation? Yeah, sure. Come on in. Come on in. Do you, <laughs> you know, do, go look do, around. Do you want to see our uh, nuclear enrichment sites? Like, <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Would you like a tour guide? Like, yeah, for sure, man. That's but, interesting. Uh, yeah. So, so you know, he and not only, you know, so I think he, he said that he had saved up a thousand dollars, but his bank records at the time indicated that he only had about 200 bucks. That doesn't mean that he didn't have the thousand dollars, but either way, those were the obstacles, right? The political obstacles, the financial obstacles. As for now, I think it would cost a lot more money relative to income speaking, but there'd be a lot less barriers from going to Russia. You could just show up at the border and say, yeah, I'm here for a, a vacation. Yeah. Interesting, man. Yeah. Just, uh, I, the details again, right? When you get into the details, you're like, oh, there's so yeah. much more story here. Uh, so he, no, it, it wasn't, it wasn't on a whim, right? He had to have planned. For, oh effects. yes, for sure. Which is weird. It's it's a, it's all weird. He's a weird dude. Um. Anyways, so he went to the Soviet Union. He like publicly denounced America, but he never actually gave up his his citizenship. Right. He made a big show of yeah. it, um, being like, "Oh he yeah." Threatened to threatened to renounce his passport and citizenship. Yes, but never actually. Yeah. Never actually does it. He's never granted Soviet citizenship, and uh, you know, just like everywhere else in his life. Um, other than maybe the Marines, he seemed to have kind of done decently in the Marines, maybe. I don't know. Anyways, uh, he got to shoot guns and he and he liked that. Uh, but in the yeah. Soviet Union, he was just a factory worker, man. Like he, and he, like, he never wanted and... to be uh, he never wanted to be average or run of the mill. He was no. never going to be happy as a factory worker. He was no. looking to be exceptional. Yeah, for sure. Know. So uh, he actually married uh, a Russian woman, uh, Marina. Yeah. Priskova, I'm probably saying that wrong. Masha's not here, my Russian wife, to help me with my Russian. <laughs> Prusikova, maybe? Prusikova, probably. Anyways, yeah. Uh, yeah, so they only dated for uh, six weeks before they got married. Uh, and he, uh, Marina wasn't his first choice. He was like into other, uh, a few other girls, but because he got rejected by them, he ended up uh, with Marina. So. That must have made her feel real special. Oh yeah, well he can he continued to make her feel real great throughout the rest of his life. <laughs> yeah, he, he really he really wasn't a very great guy. 
a yeah. long ways. And 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 the Russian government, they didn't like him at all. Um, he was a burden to them. They, I don't know why they let him in the country in the first place. Maybe they thought that he could be some type of asset. But by the time he, he was in there and settled in, uh, they realized that he was a bit of a piece of shit. They wanted to get rid of him. And a way that he, he was actually able to stay in Russia is by attempting suicide. Yes, he. Uh, they found him in a bathtub with his wrist slit, and uh, he got admitted to a, uh, a psych ward. Yeah. And uh, through that, he was allowed to stay for a while. Yeah, and they, they didn't want this to become like a uh, a big incident, right? Like a, some type of weird thing where, oh, maybe then the Russians spin it and say we, they tried to kill our citizen in their country or something like that, right? They didn't want Yeah, that, exactly. So. Yeah, so uh, so he gets to keep um, living in Russia. He has a, a daughter, um, June, with Marina. Uh, he's, again, uh, you know, hot-tempered, beats Marina, terrible, terrible domestic violence type of stuff going on with that. Like, she, she really, she has the... Has a hard life, man. Like I, I, I don't feel feel bad for her. Uh, yeah, yeah. Like that's just terrible, really, in every way. Um, and eventually he does leave uh, the Soviet Union and return to America because you know what? He didn't get there and become that socialist hero, right? He thought yeah, he'd exactly. get there and they'd they'd treat him like he's Vladimir fucking Lenin. Well, guess what? You're not. <laughs> it's interesting that his ideology went to socialism because, yeah. like. In socialism, almost inherently, like, there's a lot less of an idea of heroism because everybody's, uh, you know, part of a, a wheel in the machine, right? Yeah, true. Um, so this this idea of self-exceptionalism and socialism almost clash in him. It's true. That is true. Yeah. Yeah, just another thing that makes him um, kind, kind of difficult to wrap your head around, but in a way that, like, a lot of real-life people are. So, anyways. Yeah, well, I mean, nobody's nobody's psyche is, is simple and straightforward, right? Like, yeah. nobody's nobody's life is a, a storybook that can really be read out in a clean narrative that everybody could understand. Uh, sure. You know, some events are so complex and so internal that, um, you know, you don't, you can't really understand what, what's going on inside somebody. Yeah, but there's definitely a through line of, like, being a dickhead. Oh, yeah, definitely. No <laughs> doubt. No doubt. Strong. strong I was just speaking to the complexity of personality. That's all. Oh, yeah, indeed. Yeah. Uh, so back in America, um, he's no less uh, or no more exceptional than he was in the Soviet Union. He has normal jobs. Uh, he works at a actually for interesting for this podcast. Uh, he works for a photography and design firm. Did, did you know that? Yeah. Yes, I did, actually. Uh, Jagger's Chili's Stovall. And this is actually where he is able to um, get that uh, access to equipment to make his fake ID, uh, which he used to order his rifle uh, um, from American Rifleman, uh, which is a magazine. So he actually got a coupon from American Rifleman. Such casual access to weapons is terrifying. <laughs> That's America, dude. Yeah, yeah, we won't get into it. <laughs> and this this is when he starts using his... Uh, yeah, there's so many th opportunities in this podcast to get derailed, but we're doing a great job of not to, of not giving in. Uh, and this is where he takes on that assumed name, Alec Haddell, right? So he has that yeah. uh, fake ID. People say it's a passport. It's not a passport. Uh, I think it is a fake um, military ID, I believe. Yeah. Okay, so, so. just kind of clarify that um seven months before the attempt on uh on jfk he actually got 
got mixed up in an assassination attempt on Edwin Walker. Do you know anything about this? Yeah. So Edwin Walker was a, uh, he was an anti leftist mm-hmm. like politician, but uh, you know, he did this like it personally in his spare time, you know, he was an activist against the left, uh, specifically against communism and Castro and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And um, Oswald saw him as kind of an embodiment of the worst parts of far right politics. He saw him as a modern Hitler and he set out to assassinate him. He did shoot him, uh, but he did not kill him. The photo that we're, we're talking about and looking at today was actually taken shortly before he shot Walker. Hmm. Yeah. So maybe it was more bragging about that than, than the Kennedy thing. Hmm. Interesting. A little yeah. bit. Yeah. It makes a lot more sense to me that he would attempt um, to kill Walker over Kennedy, right? If you're just thinking like, if you are thinking, oh, it's ideologically motivated, right? Uh, this, this it's is my guy. understanding that socialists at the time in America were upset with Kennedy for the failure of the Bay of Pigs invasion and for not supporting Castro or for the for the embargo and stuff rather than, you know, what they had done. But obviously this guy who's a public segregationist and publicly, you know, uh, saying that we should take the civil rights away from communists. and Oh, yeah, you know, totally yeah. an embodiment of what what Oswald hates. And that's what that makes sense. For uh, sure. I don't know why he didn't go back for him. Well, I don't know. Maybe he like just was a bit of a coward. He took his shot, he missed, and he went home, right? That's fair. That's fair. Yeah. yeah. So anyways, uh, the fair play for Cuba, I do think that this is an interesting thing. You brought it up earlier. Um, something that maybe hints towards Oswald's motivations, definitely part of the, uh, the, the just the web of... Um, the web of events and kind of the web of confusion surrounding this whole thing. Uh, it was a pro Castro organization. He like, it's so such a weird thing. So he was like the only person like fair play for Cuba is like a bigger organization, maybe a U.S. wide. He was the only member of the New York, New Orleans branch though. That's because New Orleans was like very, very Cuban at the time. A lot of anti Castro Cubans, it was not a very socialist town. For sure, but you think you'd be able to find one or two other people, right? That's fair. That's fair. Like even even bronies have like whole conventions, Devin. So like, <laughs> <laughs> like that's this guy, fair. I maybe he was off putting to people who wanted to join the movement. He must have been. He must have been right. Like even people yeah. who agreed with him politically must have just been unable to deal with him, right? And, you know, well, somebody with that kind of psychological exceptionalism would probably insist on being in charge. True. Yeah. And maybe not take other people's opinions and things. And that can. Yeah. yeah. I don't know. Just antisocial. Um, yeah. You can see that he's at this point, like very disillusioned with the USSR. He's still seeking some type of identity, seeking roots somewhere. Right. Uh, and then he turns to Cuba. So, you know, the USSR didn't turn out to be a socialist paradise, but obviously Cuba is. Yeah, like, exactly. you know what I mean? Like he's just he's cl- he's clinging to something like he's always looking for something. Uh, he seems to want to be part of some revolution on. somehow. For sure. For sure. But no, no revolution wants him. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. He's yeah. he's doesn't really do well in Russia. He's turned away from Cuba. And then here he is in the United States sitting around disillusioned with everything and everyone and looking for a way to be to be important to matter. For sure. 
Um, there's the six-day visit to Mexico City. Uh, this is really wrapped in with the conspiracy theory stuff. Another like weird wrinkle in this case. Uh, this is like right before uh, the assassination of Kennedy. He goes to I think like a like a month before or something like that. Maybe yeah. a few months before. Uh, he goes to Mexico City. He visits uh, the Cuban and Soviet embassies. There's proof that he was there. Uh, you know, photos and documented evidence. Yeah. I mean, unless you're gonna get really crazy with it and say, oh, it's a body double or some. So, like you can just go completely nuts if you want to right or it yeah was that's not where where i would go with the conspiracy theories no this either shows two things it shows one of two things it shows that he was supported by these embassies or that he wasn't <laughs> yeah and it clearly shows to me that he wasn't because you know he applied for entry into cuba and they mm. said no Right. So it kind of hints more towards um, that he was trying to he he wanted to do some type of big political violent thing. Um, he was trying to get support and basically got rejected again. I, I, that's how I yeah. do this as well. Right. It sounds real conspiracy theory, though. Right. When you hear it you, initially, you're like, oh, wow, this is crazy. But maybe not. Maybe not. Anything that can raise questions, I think, in those cases is really what drives it unanswered yeah. questions or or questions raised but either way mm -hmm. for uh. sure for sure uh so this is another kind of crazy coincidental thing one month before the assassination is when he gets his job at the uh, texas school book depository uh and it is from the sixth floor that uh, those shots will be fired so that's pretty nuts yeah yeah for sure and that doesn't seem coincidental at all although i don't know when people would have known that Kennedy was coming, maybe uh, if it was that far in advance, I'm not sure. Uh, I don't think so. I don't think the parade route had been planned by that point. So it really just turned out in his favor. Interesting. Yeah, weird. Like this is where like the fate kind of and thing comes in. It's a uh, yeah, very very interesting story. Uh, there's the Buell Fraser thing. Buell Fraser uh, was a coworker of his, and Buell drove him around. Uh, to pick up some quote curtain rods <laughs> <laughs> so he 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 got those curtain rods uh i think he had he was living in like a board house and uh and marina was living somewhere else with some yeah she was living in a different city he would sometimes if she would let him go and visit her and uh and their daughter yeah. and uh, he was trying to convince them to move with him and he would say if you if you'll come to live uh with me i'll get an apartment but uh he was just mm -hmm. living in this boarding house mostly working yeah yeah for sure organizing books or whatever i guess um so this leads us to the big day uh you know in 1963 november uh the 22nd right yeah where kennedy's killed he is in texas as we said um campaigning essentially uh trying to win the election and uh, basically his motorcade is riding through uh is it uh dealey plaza i think that's what it's called yeah yep and he uh unfortunately takes three bullets um reportedly from a man liquor carcano rifle and yep. one of those bullets is to the head and uh, not a lot of people walk away from a rifle shot to the head. And uh, unfortunately Definitely not. It does happen. Yeah. But he also sustained one to the throat. And one to the back as well, I believe. Yeah. yeah but so... um, yeah, that, that one to the head is probably what did it. 
for sure for sure and and uh yeah he obviously ends up uh succumbing to these injuries dying from these injuries uh oswald himself uh goes on the run right away um he kills another person a police officer jd tippett uh when um jd tippett tries to arrest him and then uh after oswald is brought uh into police custody uh, he's killed by uh, the the strip club <laughs> owner that we alluded to earlier, Jack uh, Ruby. Jack Ruby, who was another character, uh, honestly, like a mirror image of Oswald in a lot of ways. Man, very, very similar, uh, very similar in his complex and personality. Just mm-hmm. on the other side of the fence politically, for sure. No but si- yeah, similar in his um, his, his person- belief in his own exceptionalism. Yeah, and his personality and the the fact that he was failing a lot in life, right? He did own he owned yeah. stakes in some strip clubs, but he was never like making actual money. He was never doing well. Uh, he was one of these guys that hang out with police all the time. So maybe I don't have to say anything more than that. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and yeah, yeah uh, he was under the same misconception. It's such such an interesting thing to me. He was under the same misconception as Oswald, where um, essentially thinking that in order to become a great man in history, all you have to do is some type of political violence, right? If you kill somebody, yeah. all of a sudden you'll be celebrated as a hero. Uh, Oswald thought the same thing. I think, like he probably thought. I mean, in America, he was obviously going to be hated, but maybe he thought that the Soviet Union or uh, or Cuba or um, somebody else would think that he was a hero for what he did right yeah or that he thought he would trigger some kind of larger movement for sure that he would change history for the better but he certainly didn't do yeah that. yeah so anyways and yeah jack ruby similarly was thinking that he would be celebrated right for for what he did so yeah uh, yeah, so um, we can get into the actual backyard photo because uh, that's kind of the the story of Oswald right there. Uh, you ready yeah. to do that? Yes, I am. Yeah. All right, so let's talk about the backyard photo. Uh, it's one of the most famous photos of Lee Harvey Oswald, probably other than his mug shot. Uh, if you want to see the photo, it's. Uh, going to be up on our Instagram. If you search like Lee Harvey Oswald backyard photo, I'm sure it will come up, but try to look for the original one. That's kind of an important sticking point. But anyway, uh, Devin, when you look at this photo, uh, you know, can you, can you describe the photo to us, what you're seeing? Yeah, sure. And I mean, like, maybe this is just my kind of small town backcountry upbringing, but at first glance, uh, it seems like a fairly harmless photo of a guy holding a rifle. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, there's photos of me doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, what you're seeing here is Lee Harvey Oswald dressed up all in black. He has his rifle, and if you see on his uh, on his belt, he also has a revolver. Mm-hmm. And this is him kind of uh, dressed up uh, in preparation for his assassination of Walker. Um, he had uh, sneaked up on his wife as she was working in the backyard uh, in an effort to show her his getup. And she turned around and she found his get up funny and she went to get a camera and took a picture. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, I believe he's holding two communist periodicals or socialist periodicals mm-hmm. in his hand as well. Um, it's almost as if he was like filing a photo for evidence. <laughs> uh, I mean, this photo isn't really proof of anything really other than that he owned this gun, yeah. but the, it was used kind of um, it was used in the public trial kind of as as evidence that you know he had the the motives and the means and stuff yeah. like that. I mean it's it is the exact make of rifle 
right? That was it is, yeah, for sure. So. No, yeah, it, it so it proves that he owned the exact make of rifle. Yeah. I'm not saying that I don't think he did it because I think he did. I'm just saying that if I were his lawyer, I would say oh. that it's not proof of pulling a trigger. Oh, for sure. The fo- just this photo is is it's uh, circumstantial. No, it's evidence of nothing except that he was a cosplayer, Comic Con boy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he just really wanted to be a revolutionary, but. He's kind of missing the long, uh, long sleeve collared button up shirt. Like you need the Castro look. Yeah, yeah. He doesn't. He doesn't scream like cool person who's, uh, you know, cool revolutionary, changing everything. Well, you now. need bravado. That's why it's always South Americans, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got no tan, no beard. You know, it's just not the type. Not the type of guy that any oh, communist wants to follow. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the the newspaper he he's holding uh just for those who are interested uh, it's two newspapers the militant and the worker. And uh what he the rifle that he's holding is a Man Liquor Carcano rifle, uh 6.5 mm slugs I guess is what it takes. Um the a lot of people miss this but he does also have that uh 38 special revolver I guess on his waist. Yeah. yeah. Uh, the photos, there's actually, so the most famous one, it's the one that was on Time Magazine. Uh, it's called CE133A. And it was, uh, yeah, published on the cover of Time Magazine uh, in 1954. It's one of a set of photos, I believe three photos that were taken by Marina. Uh, and these were recovered by the police uh, when they raided his house after the shooting. Yeah, there's like a big sticking point around this with the uh, photo being edited and the sights on the rifle. Do you know anything about that? Um, yeah, so I think I, I originally had this wrong, but at some point, I thought it was Time Magazine, but at some point somebody published the photo with the rifle removed. Um, they said for making the photo a little bit more easy to look at or something like that. I didn't really understand the justification fully. Uh, yeah, I guess either it, way, it just seems to have muddied up the narrative, essentially. Uh, yeah, I mean, it, it just makes more confusion around the whole whole issue. Yeah, I don't believe that it was Life magazine, which I think is what Life, Time sorry. magazine was called at Life, the time, yeah. maybe even. Anyway, OK, that, got you. Yeah, <laughs> but that's OK. Uh, I think it was it was actually other like less uh, reputable outlets. But yeah, they removed the site uh, from the rifle. So kind of a problem. Uh, just, yeah. just don't, <laughs> don't do that. <laughs> if it's like an yeah, important definitely. historical photo, I wouldn't say that. Uh, like going, going ahead and editing it, however you feel, is a good idea. So yeah, it's actually been disputed whether or not the the photo is authentic uh, by Oswald himself. He actually said that it was fake, uh, and he said that they had taken like you know when he was doing his oh I'm a patsy rant. Uh, he said that they had actually taken like someone else's uh, like body and like like pasted his face on it basically or whatever he seemed to enjoy um intentionally misleading people himself yeah honestly um so i think that um yeah it it would make sense that he would say that because honestly um he just seemed to be trying to to derail the whole effort once once he had done what he had done you know what i mean they the um what do you call them when they interview him at the at the uh, police station you know he's calmly and coolly maintaining his innocence 
yeah, try, trying to play it off. But uh, yeah, know, exactly. From a lot of the people who commented on like his demeanor and stuff, it that he, it was basically that he like felt like a crazy person. Maybe once he got arrested by the police, he chilled out a bit. But yeah, that's fair. Yeah, uh, but a lot of people, in terms of like the uh, authenticity of this photo, quite a few pretty reputable people have uh, gone ahead and looked into this. The uh, House Committee on Assassinations, uh, which was formed to basically look at like uh, JFK and uh, Martin Luther King and other uh, prominent um, political figures that were assassinated. Uh, they looked into the authenticity of this, found that it was real. There's this uh, Dartmouth College uh, report. So I think that this is a super important thing to talk about. Uh, in 2015, and they confirmed the authenticity of the photo. So this is what that actual YouTube video that I sent you is about, uh, the Vox one. They interviewed the uh, head of the um, head of the study, uh, Hanny Farid. And he is, uh, he works in digital imaging forensics, which is basically the, the perfect person to address something like this. Uh, his whole job is basically determining if something is, if an image is authentic when it comes to like the commission of a crime, right? So yeah. if someone has a photo and they're like, oh, Devin, I have this photo of, uh, of you um, murdering Winnie the Pooh with a, with a butcher knife. And uh, I we actually, pipe, actually. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, we are, we, we also have these pictures of you eating honey menacingly. So, that's, oh, yeah. Yeah. So that's a lot of evidence, right? So if, if someone wanted to come with that evidence, then, then, uh, honey for or someone like him would, uh, would look into that. Right. So there's quite a few different things, uh, that have been pointed at in terms of, uh, you know, basically, places where people look and say okay this is fake there's the shadows the broad chin the length of the gun and the fact that he's doing like a quote impossible pose right um yeah. and basically like going through every single one of these what they did to kind of determine it uh the shadows like his the shadows on his face not matching the photo or the shadows on the ground you can actually look at that um that's basically just like the fact of the time of day that it was and they've recreated this photo they literally went back to that same spot With in the backyard people, yeah. yeah same time of day uh and this was done i think in the 70s to collect that evidence and the um, shadows matched yeah. up yeah and the shadows yeah. they, they make perfect sense right and uh, as yeah. somebody who's held guns often i don't consider that pose impossible when if no. you've never held a gun or if you haven't held one often you may not consider the weight of a gun and also yeah. how much leverage it exerts when you're holding it like that because mm -hmm. it's long. You know what I mean? Yeah. So the, the gun kind of counterbalances, it changes the way you, you hold yourself, the way you stand and stuff. For sure. Yeah. The, uh, the broad chin thing, like it, he was saying, Oswald himself was saying that, oh, it doesn't, uh, that's not my chin. Like my chin doesn't look like that. Uh, it, again, it's just how the shadows are falling on his face. It's something that was simply proven uh, by taking photos in that exact same location at the exact same yeah. time of day. Uh, the, Which is like, like the best yeah. form of research for this sort of thing. For sure. There's also like the 3D model thing that uh, that uh, supports this, but we'll talk about that yeah. uh, when we get into the, the fourth point. The length of the gun, uh, that's another thing that's been disputed, but literally just like because of the angle of the photo and everything, like maybe it looks like the gun's a little too short or whatever, but they uh, have a lot of other photos of the rifle. Um, this ex the exact rifle used to uh, kill Kennedy that was uh, recovered from the book depository. They're able to compare that to this rifle. They have tons and tons of reference for this, you know, uh, yeah. and you can, you can 
you can pretty conclusively prove that that's it by comparing it to the other photos of the rifle and measuring the rifle itself. The uh, impossible pose thing. So the 3D model thing that they did was very interesting. Basically, they created like a lighting and physics sim so that um, you could have like a simulated person and like the actual like physics, the weight of everything makes sense. And they can try out these poses and see if they actually work. And would they be casting exact shadows like that within like the lighting engine that they've created? A kind of weird backward way of going about it with uh, with technology. But I think it is cool and it does like add an extra level to the whole thing of of uh, of analysis and, and of proof like verification, that, yeah. essentially. Yeah, that this is real. Yeah. It's another filter to put it through. For sure. Uh, so yeah, I, I think that if you look at all of that together with the fact um, that these, well, <laughs> Marina herself said that she took the photos. <laughs> there's yeah, the, exactly. There's also like the unique scratch marks um, that that particular camera, the uh, Imperial 620 dual lens camera, uh, it's yeah. a plastic film camera with a waist level viewfinder. If anyone's interested, you can buy one for like super cheap. You can probably buy one for like 40 bucks now. Oh, wow. Yeah. So they actually had that camera. They were able to recover it. They put film in and took photos uh, and they were all showing the same scratch marks, right? That have that. When you say they recovered it, you mean the actual camera? The actual camera. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. So they were able to, you know, pretty conclusively prove that this camera leaves certain marks on the negatives. Yeah. And the, the marks matched exactly these photos of all. Are people, we right? talking about some of these kind of, for example, these tiny little white scratches on his legs? Uh, yeah. The white scratches on his legs. If you're looking at like the full resolution photo, there's, uh, yeah, there's kind of scratches all around the edge and stuff like that too. There's a pair yeah, of okay. 11 unique like scratches that they can look at and say like, we've reproduced these on these negatives to prove okay. it, which is ve yeah. Very, very interesting. Uh, and pretty, pretty damn conclusive. Like they've pretty it's incredible uh, how much time and effort has been put into this. Yeah, and it's just one small thing, but it's really helpful for this podcast because we needed something photography. <laughs> we need something photography related, uh, and yeah, just like what you were saying um, in regard to you know people's just overconfidence in their ability to look at a photo and say it's real. This is a yeah, thing with the moon exactly. landing stuff too, right? Oh yeah, for sure. And I mean, like, there's so many factors to consider when you look at these things, right? Like, people look at a picture and they think they're seeing, like a perfect reproduction of what was happening. But what they're seeing was the camera does, camera's limited angle and its ability to reproduce an image mm -hmm. that it was seeing. For you sure. know, like there's a, there's a stage in between sometimes that people don't understand, especially with cameras. Uh, there's also just so many little details in pictures uh, that it's, it's really hard for most people's brains to catch it all and to, to collate it all. Yeah, and we're more used to like looking at the real world, right? And not like photos of the world. And we assume that photos of the world are going to reflect that. But it, it so many different things determine it, like the amount of exposure that you're using, how wide the shot is, like in terms of how much it's going to distort the image and things like that. Lots going on. So, yeah, exactly. In the case of the camera you're talking about, like literally the way the camera worked mechanically, leaving the scratches, you know? Mm -hmm. Yeah, lots, lots to look at that you don't really think of intuitively, right? So, yeah, that's why uh, that's why universities are important, I guess. <laughs> someone can spend <laughs> so someone can spend their whole life doing this, right? <laughs> yeah, if only we could get everybody yeah. to go to one. 
yeah, they need to make it cheaper and stuff. But again, another, that's another, uh, that's a completely. Oh yeah, let's, let's get down that road. Uh, but yeah, just get, to sum this up, man, uh, this has been an awesome episode. Uh, hopefully, it lives up to expectations. It's a huge topic, something that a lot of people feel very strongly about. And uh, yeah, I think I think we did it justice, or at least like we started got to everything or, we needed. Yeah, know, for for this I think part, we got, like, yeah like an hour and a half of stuff so okay fair it's, enough yeah yeah it'll be it'll be a long episode uh we're gonna keep going though this will probably be like a three or maybe four part series uh the next part will be on jfk i do want to give him uh the respect of an entire episode so we're gonna cover jfk uh but do you want to kind of sum up like your you know big picture conclusions big picture epiphanies that you've had researching like oswald and and uh and the assassination yeah sure i think when I've researched, as I've researched uh, Oswald and the assassination for this episode, the more I've looked at it, the more I've kind of realized that, like, A, uh, Oswald was perfectly capable of doing it on his own, um, and B, I, I mean that uh, physically and psychologically, um, but I, I'd also, I don't think that that is mutually exclusive with the idea that it was part of something larger. Mm -hmm. uh, but, uh, you know, looking at the picture for me, uh, I, I see, if I try to leave out what I know about him, I see an average guy. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that was the first thing that I saw when I looked at the picture. Um, and I think that's my overall impression of the man, which was exactly what his problem was, was that he couldn't reconcile himself with that. Yeah, I mean, I, to be honest, I think that even if he wasn't the only person there, like... Uh, the only even not the only person that took shots the only person that was conspiring against kennedy i i do think that he was there i think he fired shots you know you can yeah he was the one that did else. the deed for sure um you know and in that way he really changed history for the worst right like you were saying he was an average person i think that this does show that like average jerks can can change history uh just maybe not in the or way the that, whim, basically yeah and maybe not the way that they expect right and yeah there's a big lesson here in terms of, yeah, just like, I don't know. <laughs> it's a cautionary tale. Uh, pe people aren't going to celebrate you just because you kill somebody. That's, I guess. Is the it's, lesson. it's a cautionary tale in so many ways. Yeah. Uh, I'd say it's a cautionary tale about having longer courtships. <laughs> I feel bad for his wife. Cautionary <laughs> tale for uh, for Marina here, eh? Yeah. No kidding. No kidding. Always, always date somebody longer before you get engaged yeah. to them. That's yeah, the, just the, just because he has an apartment that doesn't. Really, yeah. <laughs> well, in, in Soviet Russia, everybody has an apartment. Apartment has you. He had kind of a nice. <laughs> he had a kind of a nice one. Yeah. Yeah. And it had him as well. But uh, yeah, I mean, was he? Was he really driven by ideology? I think we've kind of talked around that. I'm not 100% sure. A little bit, sure. yeah. I think a little bit, but I also think that he was more driven around by just like his own... Uh, personal desire for some sort of relevance. Yeah, his own personal weakness, I think. Yeah, he wanted people to know him and remember him. Yeah, yeah there's definitely stuff here uh, about like just, you know, big picture topics like fate, <laughs> as you said, like the book depository thing, like getting a job there a month before, even probably before the parade route was even scheduled like no, there's yeah. there's crazy things like that and there's also stuff of just like the motion of history right like maybe this was well, going to happen anyway there were so many people conspiring like not maybe not conspiring but there are a lot of people who were um you know adverse to john f kennedy right there was things that 
John F. Kennedy that was doing that were going to make people hate him and try to kill him, I think. So many people, which is why it's easy for people to believe that there was some conspiracy against him. But this also begs the question, right? What if there had been another parade a week before with some other political figure? Yeah. Would would Lee Harvey Oswald have shot them instead? Maybe. Honestly, because it seemed to me he would have shot anybody to get the relevance he was looking for. Yeah, maybe. It's it's definitely... It's, again, it's all supposition. Yeah. Dangerous hobby. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Dangerous hobby? Uh, trying to assassinate political figures? No, no, no. Oh. Supposition's a dangerous hobby. Oh, okay. I don't know. Assassinate political leaders all you want. That's cool. Yeah, I think what we really learned was uh, <laughs> don't go to the library. If you go to the library, you are going, <laughs> you will become a communist and you will try to kill the president. You will become radicalized if you educate yourself. Yeah, so, you know, just stay and, away from books. And don't listen to this podcast, that's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, it's um, been so, fun. Yeah, that's the episode. It was awesome. Uh, before we get out of here, I uh, just want to let you guys know you can tell your friends about the podcast. It's a great way of helping the podcast grow. You can find us on Instagram, uh, photo underscore friends underscore pod, uh, and you can support our sponsor, CloudSpot. You can get 50% off now. Link in the description, uh, first 12 months. Devin? Can you uh, tell the people where they can find you on the internet? Yeah, you can find me on Instagram at Devin K Painting. It's D-E-V-E-N-K-A-Y Painting. Um, And you can see some of my art there. And uh, there's some history things to come in the future. Awesome. Uh, Thank you again, Devin. Uh, Thank you. Thank you, Jim. Thank thank you, Devin. (laughs) (laughs) No, we're not doing this right now. And thanks uh, to our listeners. And before we get out of here, uh, Mr. What did you call yourself? Kenny, uh, Kenny Ketchup. Yeah, Ketchup Ken, yeah. Ketchup like Ken. I should have gone with Juicy Jumbo. Juicy Jumbo. You've got the last yeah. word. Something random. Something random? Okay. Um, Ottoman. Perfect. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs>